0: DuckDuckGo has released a browser in beta for Windows, UPS has suffered a data breach, and the FBI pressures to keep their phone surveillance secret. Welcome to Surveillance Report 139, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week. I'm Henry from TechLore. I'm Nathan from The New Oil. Promo segment this week, we did get a couple patrons in the last week, which is freaking awesome. So we're at 94, so we just need six more people to hit our 100 mark. Um, So the Patreon is really important because it helps us grow this podcast and it gives us a consistent source of revenue for this podcast specifically, which is very helpful and helps us keep doing more cool things behind the scenes to keep this going. Um, aside from Patreon, if you don't like Patreon, we also support LibraPay, And if you don't like LibrePay, we also directly support contributions through Monero. So you have several options of supporting this podcast. If you join through Patreon, we have some perks, like you have a Q&A at the end of every episode, and there's other things like VIP episodes, which are a little bit extended and have more of our personal thoughts and uh, analysis on different situations, so... Thank you all for tuning in um, and join our stuff if you really like what we're doing, and let's get into the news. All right, with that, we'll launch into this week's highlight story, which is about DuckDuckGo
1: releasing their uh, browser for Windows for public beta. Well, it's in public beta, so not a full release. Quoting the article, starting today, our desktop browser for Windows is officially in public beta. No invite codes, no waiting list. just a fast, lightweight browser that makes the internet less creepy and less cluttered. I'm going to go ahead and own my bias up front. I'm not a big fan of DuckDuckGo, but... The, it does come default with some pretty interesting stuff. So it comes with Duck Player, which is basically just a YouTube proxy, gets rid of ads and tracking scripts, some built in tracker blocking. You know, that's always kind of been one of their things when it comes to their browsers. HTTPS Everywhere, they're calling it a smarter encryption, but I, I remember when they launched this, it's basically just HTTPS Everywhere, um, but with a more robust list, I think. Cookie bender blocking, and it'll select the um, like the the least invasive options, so it'll say like only necessary cookies or decline or whatever. Comes with the fire button that they're famous for, you hit the button, it just kind of erases everything and brings you back to a default. And of course, their email proxy service, you know, they're at duck.com or whatever it is. Quoting the article again, the browser doesn't have extension support yet, but we plan to add it in the future. In the meantime, we built the browser to include features that meet the same needs as the most popular extensions, ad blocking and secure password management. This is not a fork of any other browser code. All the code from tab and bookmark management to our new tab page to our password manager is written by our own engineers. For web page rendering, the browser uses the underlying operating system rendering API. In this case, it's a Windows WebView 2 call that utilizes the Blink rendering engine underneath. Unquote, and it's also worth noting they do have um, their own telemetry opted in by default. So if you really want to be and. To their defense, they're upfront about that in the article. If you really want to be as private as possible, you just have to go into the settings and say, don't submit any analytics. We're hard at work right now on achieving full parity with Ma- with the Mac browser, including improvements like faster startup performance, the ability to pin tabs, HTML bookmark imports, more options for the fire button, and additional privacy features like fingerprinting protection, link tracking protection, and refer tracking protection. As mentioned above, private password and bookmark syncing is also coming soon. Yeah, like I said, to be honest, I'm not uh, a huge fan of DuckDuckGo. So there was no one moment that did it for me, but the straw that broke the Camel's back for me was the whole uh, like allow listing Microsoft trackers in some of their search results. That was kind of, and for the record, I think that was only in their browser, but still, that was just kind of like, and then just the way they handled it and everything. I was just like, all right, I don't trust you guys anymore. But they still seem to be a really popular option. And to give credit where credit is due, I, I think this browser does a really good job of kind of taking all these features and making them default because really there's nothing here that's special. Like Duck Player. NVIDIAs, Piped, things like that. Tracker blocking, uh, most browsers now have tracker blocking. You can also download Ublock and make it more... Excuse me, most privacy browsers like Brave and Firefox and LibreWolf, they have this stuff, but you can download Ublock and make it more robust. Smarter encryption, everybody has an HTTPS mode now. Cookie pop-up management, that's also in Ublock. Fire button, I mean, you can do that with your settings. You can kind of make it so they... I guess not instantly, you'd have to still close the browser. But anyways, and then email protection, there's a non-addy and, and simple login. So there's really nothing here that's unique, but they have done a really good job of like bringing it all into one place and making it default. And I think that's probably the biggest selling point. So I mean, if if you trust DuckDuckGo
0: and you want to use it, go for it. What I'm really curious about is the reason they're able to build these browsers, because they're not actually building the browser code. Um, that's actually the web rendering engine. They're just using whatever the native operating system using. And this is the same thing with their mobile one as well. So on iOS, it's just using WebKit. On Android, it's using the default Android web rendering engine. Uh, and on macOS, it's using WebKit again, I believe. And then now on Windows, they're using, again, Windows WebView 2, which is just calling Blink, which is a fancy way of saying Chromium. Um, and so I don't know what's going to happen on Linux. So they're not. there is no, as far as I know, there's no like universal system rendering engine That's universal across all Linux distributions. So I actually don't know if they're ever going to release a Linux client for this, for those who are wondering about that, just for that reason alone, because I think they'd have to actually build the browser from scratch, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe I'm wrong. I I actually am not super familiar with the web rendering support for across different Linux distributions. But if anyone has more insight, I don't see DuckDuckGo developing something for Linux. And now we're going to go into the data breaches, and we're going to start with Iowa, um, US state for those outside the US, and their largest school district confirms a ransomware attack and data theft, which occurred on January 9th. And going to quote the article while well, the school district also received a ransom demand following the attack from a ransomware group, the ransom has not been paid. Almost 6,700 individuals whose data was affected in the resulting data breach will be contacted this week with details regarding what personal information was exposed. As a precautionary measure, potentially impacted individuals are being offered complimentary credit monitoring services. (laughs) Thank you. And the letter also includes information for recipients on how they can place a fraud alert on their credit file, place a security freeze on their credit file, and obtain a free credit report. I actually think those last few things are a lot more useful than complimentary credit monitoring for two years, and then you're screwed beyond that. So uh, I'm glad that they're instructing people how to put like credit freezes on their account, but informative and unfortunate okay this next one was kind of a big story UPS discloses data breach after exposing customer info used in
1: SMS phishing UPS is alerting Canadian customers that some of their personal information might have been exposed via its online package lookup tools and abused in phishing attacks and just in case anybody hasn't heard of them UPS is a major um, delivery company shipping letters packages whatever I think pretty much worldwide. At first glance, the letter sent by UPS Canada titled Fighting Phishing and Smishing, an update from UPS, seemed to be warning customers about the dangers of phishing. However, it turns out that this is actually a data breach notification with the company sneaking in a disclosure stating that it has been receiving reports of SMS phishing messages containing the recipient's name and address info. Kind of being real quiet about that one, real sneaky. Following an internal review, UPS found that the attackers behind this ongoing SMS phishing campaign were using its package lookup tools to access delivery details, including recipients' personal contact info, between February 2022 and April 2023. UPS customers worldwide have been affected, as shown by online reports showing that the threat actors using their names, phone numbers, and postal codes, as well as info on recent orders. According to numerous malicious text messages seen by Bleeping Computer and believed to be sent during this campaign, the threat actors are impersonating Lego and Apple shipments with other companies likely also impacted. I just wanna throw it out there, these can be really good sometimes, and sometimes they're obvious. Like when I get those like, there's a problem with your Amazon package, click here. I don't use Amazon, I'm not gonna fall for that. But I've definitely seen um, like emails specifically that are like, hey, this is like an update from PayPal. And some of them are really tricky because it's really obvious when it's like, oh, you need to click this now or your account's going to be turned off. But I've I've seen some that are like, hey, there's just like a little problem, like click here and resolve it. And you really got to pay attention because some of them are super convincing. So yeah um, if you've used UPS recently, be on alert, especially if they're leaking like addresses. This is why we're big fans of p o boxes or not delivering things to your home and stuff like that. Uh, voice over IP numbers, all that fun stuff.
0: The next one is interesting. it's it's a something from iaudi who has disclosed data breach after as the site was hacked to steal its credit cards. So if you're wondering what the hell iaudi is, uh, it's probably because not many people know because it's something that you wouldn't think about the brand. It's a car mount and mobile accessory maker. Well, so they make things like car like things that you put on your card to mount your phone and things like that. It's not something you normally think of the brand, but their site was compromised and they believe criminal e-skimming occurred from April 12th, 2023 and June 2nd, 2023. And then on June 2nd, during the WordPress plugin update, the malicious code was removed. IOTI has not shared how many customers were impacted, but said that names, personal information, and payment information could have been stolen, including financial account numbers, credit and debit card numbers, security codes, access codes, passwords, and PINs. I actually have a takeaway for this one. Um, I quickly looked, and IOTI is actually, they sell their products on Amazon. And again, so this is something that people need to think about. I'm not saying you should buy everything on Amazon, but what I'm saying is, I also looked at IOTI's website, and I'm like, what the hell is this? Um, if you actually type in iODI, just just type it into Google or use whatever Google front end you want. Um, on Google, it shows the homepage, and then it shows you the sub pages of the website. IOTI's, their sub pages are all called untitled because they didn't properly fill out the he- like the header tags for their own website on their sub pages it's it's insane so where I'm going with this is when you buy like random products on individual websites you are kind of opening yourself up more in a way you are diversifying your data because now you know it's not just Amazon that collects everything you're doing but now you're if you only have a single credit card you're spreading that credit card across numerous companies and you're trusting each company to secure that data properly including the one that can't even title their sub pages properly, you know, um, which is like the easiest thing to do when you're building a website, let alone actually having to secure your website. So what I would say here is if you are going to avoid things like Amazon, which are probably have better overall security than whatever is going on with this web page, you want to make sure you're at least aliasing things, right? We always talk about aliasing, but at minimum, if you're going to go through individual sites, make sure you alias information because you are opening yourself up more to these individual platforms. And if you don't want to alias, then there is an argument to be made for why, like, a more trusted platform might be a little bit better at the cost of some privacy. So just a little analysis on my end of the situation.
1: Okay, this next one came from one of our listeners. Uh, This comes from Apria, which is a healthcare company, and they just sent out a notice of a data breach to all their customers. Uh, It's super, super vague. Um, really, it's super short as well. Really, the only useful sentence here says, based on the investigation, it was determined that information potentially accessed in the incident varied for each individual and may have included personal, medical, health insurance, or financial information, and in some limited cases, social security numbers. The notice, again, it was really generic. It didn't say how many people were affected, didn't give any details on the compromise or anything and I guess I didn't think to go looking for it but this didn't really like come across my feed again this came from a listener so that's
0: kind of all the details we have that's a thing if you're uh, an Apria healthcare user up next American Airlines and Southwest Airlines have disclosed a data breach affecting just the pilots so these are two of the largest airlines in the world. They disclosed the data breach on Friday caused by the hack of pilot credentials. So pilot credentials is the name of the thing that was breached. It's not, it's not actually pilot credentials, but it's a third-party vendor. According to the breach notification, um, American Airlines said the breach affected five five thousand 5,745 pilots and applicants, while Southwest reported a total of 3,009. For American Airlines, data included social security numbers, driver's license numbers, passport numbers, date of births, airman's certificate numbers, and other government-issued ID numbers. The article notes that uh, American Airlines has had breaches also in 2022 and 2021. Okay, and then our last data breach, this is an
1: update to a story. The University of Manchester has confirmed a data theft in their recent cyber attack. So this happened early in June, and the stolen data belonged to both alums, alums, I, I don't know what the that's what the article said. Alums and current students, the university first disclosed the attack on June 9th, warning that the data was likely stolen, but said it was unrelated to the move at transfer data thefts. Bleeping Computer first reported on Tuesday that the attackers behind the attack were emailing students claiming to have stolen seven terabytes of confidential data belonging to students and staff. The university said, based on our investigations, we believe that a small proportion of data has been copied that relates to some students and some alumni. A small proportion of data, seven terabytes, small proportion of data. We have written directly to those individuals who may have been impacted by This this included, potentially, names and contact details like address, telephone number, and email address, university ID numbers, dates of birth, gender, nationality, domicile, ethnicity, UCAS number and fee status, UCAS disability code where relevant, For some students, the documents also included a summary of key communications or other records relating to their university accommodations. Some former students also had their names, contact details, university ID numbers, genders, dates of birth, and basic program information.
0: Now we're going to go into the company section. We're going to start with Windows 11. Uh, The preview has added better passkey support, and it rolls back some file explorer changes. So uh, I'm going to quote the article. Though the Microsoft Edge browser has supported passkeys for a while, this week's insider build extends support to any app or website that supports passkeys, which can use built-in Windows help. Authentication, either via PIN, fingerprint reader, or face scanning camera, to sign you in without requiring a password. You can also view the full list of passkeys that have been created on your device and delete individual ones if you no longer want to use them. If your browser natively supports passkeys and has its own user interface for handling them, you'll need to select Windows Hello or External Security Key to use the built in Windows UI instead. There's also a bunch of just non privacy related changes that you guys can probably look into further, um, which shouldn't be a surprise if you're on Windows or care about Windows in the first place. But we're just covering the better passkey support, which is kind of relevant for people trying to keep tabs on the new updates regarding passkeys.
1: All right, our next story comes from Apple. This is a real quick one. The headline says, Apple fixes zero days used to deploy triangulation spyware via iMessage. So this comes from the story we covered, I think a week or two ago from Kaspersky. They said that they had a bunch of iPhones because they're a malware research lab, that's what they do, and they talked about how a bunch of their iPhones were getting hacked with like some zero click. Uh, I think the most recent was like on version 15.7 or something like that. Anyways, it looks like Apple looked into this and patched up whatever vulnerabilities still remained for this malware to be spread. Normally they do have like more details on malware and, and this kind of stuff, but this article was pretty light on details. So that's kind of all we got. Um, Apple has rolled out fixes for triangulation.
0: And the last one is really, really quick. Uh, So Asus has urged customers to patch critical router vulnerabilities. So uh, this is really self-explanatory. This new firmware has cumulative security updates that addresses vulnerabilities in multiple router models. And they've warned customers to immediately update their devices to restrict WAN access until they're secured. Um, as the company explains, the newly released firmware contains fixes for nine security flaws, including high and critical ones. Uh, the article lists, it's a lot of impacted models. So I would look at the article to see if you are impacted. But either way, whether or not you're impacted, I would just go and check for updates on your router right now and see if you have any updates, regardless if you use ACES or whatever you use. We don't have any research
1: stories this week. This was actually kind of a light news week. So there's a couple sections we don't have anything for. Research is one of them. So we'll keep rolling over into politics this was kind of a big story. The headline says, Docs show FBI pressures cops to keep phone surveillance secrets. So basically, the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, recently did, a, I'm assuming it's a FOIA request, and they obtained some documents from the government relating to um, cell phone trackers. Cell phone trackers like Stingrays, for the record, IMSI catchers. And for those who don't know, these are devices that basically, uh, I think the official name name is... Uh, cell tower simulators or something like that, your phone thinks it's a cell tower and it basically becomes a man in the middle. Your phone will connect to that device. That device will collect whatever data it wants to, and then it'll pass it on to an actual cell tower. So you have no idea that your data is even being intercepted. They're very common at um, like protests and mass gatherings and things like that. These articles basically outline how the FBI is really giving a lot of support to local police departments with these devices. But in return, these police departments are basically not supposed to publicly use them. Like they're not supposed to disclose it. Uh, Later on in the the article, actually, it talks about how cops, local cops are encouraged if they collect some data, like some incriminating evidence via a, a stingray, they're supposed to find another way like, different evidence. So, for example, if if they collect a text message that says, like, you know, hey, the murderer was in a red car, they need to go find security camera footage that shows that car. So that way they don't need to enter the Stingray into evidence. Because once they enter it into evidence, it becomes public record. So it basically just outlines how the FBI is really going out of their way to try and use Stingrays, but try not to publicly acknowledge them. And um, it's, it's a pretty deep dive. I've got, like, half a page of quotes here, but – it's uh, some pretty, pretty scary stuff. And uh, this is all like contractual, you know, like when when the FBI, they require NDAs to be signed and... Um you know, stipulations in the contract include withholding information about the devices, their functionality, and deployment from defendants and their lawyers in the event the cases prove justiciable. All
0: right, the next one is LexisNexis. Ah, oh, it sounds such a like such a good, fun company. It's not. We've talked about LexisNexis a lot in the past. It's pretty much one of these surveillance companies, and they're selling your personal data to ICE so it can be so it can try to predict crimes. The article is pretty vague. Uh, the person who wrote it is trying to. I think demonstrate to people how overboard and ridiculous this all is, but they kind of lose the details and specifics along the way. So I don't know. It's an interesting article. But Um, while the companies previously refused to answer any questions about precisely what data it's selling to ICE or to what end, the contract overview describes LexisNexis software as not simply a giant bucket of personal data, but actually a sophisticated analytical machine that purports to detect suspicious activity and scrutinize migrants, including their locations. Apparently that's a better thing than just being a bucket of personal data. Um, LexisNexis is known for its vast trove of public records and commercial data, a constantly updating archive that includes information ranging from voting licenses and DMV filings to voter registrations and cell phone subscriber rolls. In the aggregate, these data points create a vivid mosaic mosaic of a person's entire life, interests, professional activities, criminal run-ins, no matter how minor, and far more. While some of the data is valuable for the likes of researchers, journalists, and law students, LexisNexis has turned the mammoth pool of personal data into a lucrative revenue stream by selling it to law enforcement clients like ICE, who use the company's many data points on over 280 million different people to not only determine whether someone constitutes a risk, but also to locate and apprehend them. The contract shows ICE can combine LexisNexis data with databases from other outside firms, namely Penlink, a controversial company that helps police nationwide request private user data from social media companies. LexisNexis's LEID's program is crucially not an outlier in the United States. For-profit data brokers are increasingly tapped by law enforcement and intelligence agencies for both the vastness of the personal information they collect and the fact this data can be simply purchased rather than legally obtained with a judge's approval. And that's really the core of the issue here. You know, whether or not you believe that ICE has the right to, you know, Deem who's illegal and who's not illegal, whether or not you believe that they should be arresting people or kicking them out. It doesn't matter how you feel about the situation. The real problem here is that there are rules in place and there are different restrictions that ICE cannot just freely obtain anyone's information they want, including people here who are not even at risk. So this issue here is that they're navigating this huge workaround to pretty much go through private companies and collect their data instead of collecting it themselves. Because they're not actually allowed to collect this data, but they're allowed to purchase the data from other people who do collect it. Um, And that is all done without any oversight, which otherwise would have to happen if they were to collect this data. So that's really the real problem here. It's the lack of oversight. It's the freedom to do whatever the hell they want and still collect things they're not supposed to collect. So
1: this next story says the government has a controversial idea to track mental health crisis calls. Um, I don't know how sensitive people actually are about this kind of stuff, but just in case anybody is uh, going through a hard time right now and doesn't want to hear about this, we're going to mention suicide a little bit. So if you're not in a good headspace, feel free to skip this story. Quoting the article, this comes from The Markup, by the way, quoting the article, Since 2005, counselors have been answering calls through the National Suicide Prevention Line offering to help people in severe emotional distress. Last year, the program relaunched as the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline, allowing callers to connect with the service through the simple three-digit number, 988. About 50,000 people died by suicide in the United States in 2021, a rate of one death every 11 minutes. More than 12 million others seriously thought about taking their lives that year, according to a survey... From the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, it's difficult to track exactly how many lives have been saved by crisis lines, but the available evidence strongly suggests people feel better, able to cope after reaching out through the program. But while the service has been crucial to many, it's not without controversy. We recently explored one issue here at the Markup, reporting on how dozens of websites for local crisis centers tied to the 988 line were tracking visitors through a tool called the MetaPixel. I don't think that when we covered it here on Surveillance Report, I don't think we focused on the 988 line specifically. I think we focused more on like hospitals and stuff. But yeah, if if you. You've been following for a while. That was a huge story that was just everywhere for months and is still playing out to a smaller extent. As we continue, another debate around tracking has been playing out even more publicly. Last year, the Federal Communications Commission held a hearing on automatically geolocating callers who dialed 988. While the details are under discussion, the plan would broadly mean people who answer calls would be able to see exactly where a caller is and to provide that information to emergency services. The potential benefits are clear. Right now, when a person calls 988, they're routed to a local crisis center based on their area code they're calling from, so a person with an out of state area code will be sent to a counselor in a different state. Through geolocation, the service could automatically detect where a person is and route the call to the center nearest to them. There's also emergency situations where being able to trace a call could save lives. If a person wants to help but can't describe precisely where they are, a counselor could still direct help to them. While some say that the non-consensual intervention is a necessary last resort, to some advocates, the moral calculus looks different. They point to a research suggesting forced hospitalization may ultimately increase a person's risk for suicide in the long term and argue that the trauma of a forced intervention from police could leave lifelong damage. In addition to that concern, which is a, a very valid concern, I think there's an obvious privacy concern here of... When you collect this data, people who are calling uh, a help center, like, I guess my bigger question is what happens to that data? Like, if if it's only recorded at that moment during that call, I think that's one thing. But if it's going to be stored in that database, like, this number was in this place and called at this time, you know, that's a classic example when we talk about metadata and how powerful it is. Uh, It's actually on the EFF's website, is like, if you call a suicide hotline from the Golden Gate Bridge... You don't need the content of the conversation. That's not exactly a PhD level inference to make there. To me, I think that would be the bigger concern is like, how is this data going to be handled? How would it be uh, stored? How long would it be stored? It looks like this is a, a conversation that's
0: starting and hopefully will end somewhere productive. All right, the last article in politics is a U.S. vendor has been accused of violating GDPR, which is the European privacy laws, by reputation scoring EU citizens. So this, a U.S.-based fraud company, collected data from millions of EU citizens and processed it using automated tools without their knowledge but that it did so in the United States, all in violation of the EU's data protection rules. That data was fed into an automated system that generates reputation scores that Telesign sells to its customers, which includes TikTok, Salesforce, Microsoft, AWS, and others for verifying the identity of a person behind a phone number to prevent fraud. They're seeking cessation of all data from BICS to TeleSign, processing of said data, and is requesting deletion of all unlawfully transmitted data. They're also asking for Belgian data protection authorities to fine Proximus, which they have said could reach as high as 236 million euros, a mere 4% of their global turnover. So... Kind of insane. Uh, This is also pretty on brand too, though, of a US company just thinking they can do what's legal and allowed in the US anywhere around the world and thinking they can get away with it. So uh, it'd be cool if we had something like GDPR in the US.
1: All right, with that, we'll move into FOSS. Um, Like I said, it's been a real slow week. So actually, normally we probably wouldn't even include this story, but it's already in here, so we will. Uh, System 76 has released a new Oryx Pro, I believe it's a laptop. So this was a 16 by 10 screen ratio, NVIDIA RTX 40 series, 13th gen Intel i9, comes with 14 cores and 20 threads, DDR5 RAM, PCIe 4.0 storage. Um, Pretty beefy dude. I think the Oryx is one of their more high-end laptops. Truthfully, not super closely related to FOSS other than the fact that it's System76. You know, they do a Pop! OS. They have open source firmware. You can put Fedora on these laptops. So if you're looking for an open source as possible, powerful laptop, Maybe check this guy out or one of their other ones. Pretty cool stuff.
0: Uh, And there's no misfits. So that's actually it for the stories this week. And then we're going to hop into the Q&A. Again, these Q&A questions are asked by our patrons who are awesome. And they're supporting us over at patreon.com slash surveillance pod. If you want to ask a question, we only got one this week. And we can normally accommodate like around three each week. And then we can even do more now with shorts throughout the week. So if you want to join our Patreon Q&A... Uh, you have to join our Patreon. So uh, that's in the description. And it also helps us keep this podcast going and growing forever. We're never going to (laughs) stop. So, um, I mean, I hope I die someday. So
1: our question this week, we only got one. It came from Riddick, who is one of our regulars. Um, This is a multi-part question. It says, I love YouTube, although I'm using third-party front ends. I have disabled all data collection and sharing options, watch history, search history, activity, location history, and personalized ads. Does YouTube still collect other sensitive data about me that is important to consider, such as data that I do not input manually into YouTube or Google? Um, we'll pause there and go over that one. I don't have any proof of this, because you know, YouTube is a black box. We don't actually know what they're doing. But my money says, yeah. I I personally And this is just a personal conspiracy theory, but I wouldn't be surprised if I'm right. I think they're still collecting all that data. I think they're just not using it. So they're not going to use your search history to uh, personalize the ads. They're not going to use it to personalize your your suggestions, allegedly. But I I think they're still collecting it, to be totally honest with you.
0: And you mentioned third-party front-ends. I do want to mention, even if you're using something like New Pipe to watch YouTube, YouTube still collects basic information. And actually, they might be able to collect... See, we don't know what's going on on the other end of things. So we don't know actually how well Google's respecting opt-outs that you're doing. But if you're using a third-party... New pipe. So when you connect to NewPipe, you're still collecting through your IP address to watch these videos. So Google can still see basic information about who's watching a video, um, but they're not going to be able to respect any opt-outs either if you're using a third-party front-end. So that's just something to consider um, on the other side of things.
1: I've heard that about some front-ends. Do you know if they get it? Well, Like, What do they get besides... IP address, because then I could just use VPN,
0: right? It's probably going to be your IP address. And, you know, uh, if you're coming in from a home IP address and it's the same IP address, then it's not hard for them to start collecting the the videos watched by a single IP address. But then from there, like, you know, like that can include a general location. um, That can include search history, watch history, activity, watch time, So like you would get similar information just by using a third-party front-end from a home residential IP address. If you're using a VPN, then it's a little harder because you could have thousands of people using the same IP address. Um, So just something to consider. Hey everyone, Future Henry here. We didn't have any stories this week and we got very, 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 very off topic uh, responding to this Q&A. So just a fair warning, uh, I did keep most of this in. This would normally be something we would include in the VIP episode, but actually these complaints kind of carry over to mostly people outside of our Patreon so we figured we might as well just keep the whole thing in uh, for all of you watching. So kind of a different week because we didn't have as many stories so the Q&A section is a little longer and it's mostly just because of this side tangent that we weren't planning on going on so thanks everyone for the patience and I hope you enjoy it. It definitely touches on some pretty important issues not just for us but just the general economy of the internet.
1: All right, and then the follow up question says if YouTube is fairly private in this case should we promote YouTube Premium? I would love it if YouTube doesn't financially rely on data harvesting anymore because sustain itself off voluntary paying viewers if youtube is still not private enough for people with the average threat model should the privacy community pressure youtube into adding disabling unnecessary data collection as a feature of premium and then promote premium i have no idea how willing google is to make this trade off uh yeah so truthfully i don't think they would like even if everybody was willing to pay for youtube premium i don't be uh, okay and i'm not trying to be political here this is how capitalism works is, and, and this is why, in the privacy community, this is why people are so concerned when a company says that they have venture capital funding. Because what that means is the investor puts in a little bit of money and says, I expect to make a return on that money. And that means that the company needs to grow and return that money. I I could be wrong about this, but I think there's actually legal ramifications if the investor feels like the company didn't try hard enough. So if I put a, a million dollars into a company, and I don't get my $2 million back in five years, and I look at the company, and I'm like, well, you didn't sell ads. You didn't offer premium. You didn't do these things. I'm, I'm There's probably something in the contract that says I can take you to court and argue that you didn't try to actually make money. You basically just ripped me off. So that's the way all these companies work is they have to keep growing, which is one argument of why capitalism is not sustainable—that's a whole different thing. But like, that's that's really how it works. Is these companies have to keep growing always; they have to keep moving forward. That's the way they work. So even if everybody was willing to pay for premium, why would they leave all this this literal money on the table from data collection? Because even if they're not using it, they can sell that data to LexisNexis or you know any other company. Like that's that's what they do. They wouldn't leave that money on the table. There's absolutely no reason for them to do that. The only way that they're ever going to add any sort of disable unnecessary collection is through things like privacy regulations, which even then they've still been known to disobey. I don't think there's any fixing Google to be honest with you. I think the solution is to try and get your favorite creators to get off Google. And I realize, unfortunately, especially with video, that's a really tall order because video files are massive. Uh, Video storage is not cheap. Like, I mean, sure, for a company like Google that makes billions of dollars, a data center is cheap. But for the average person, like for me to upgrade my storage on PeerTube is gonna cost me an extra twenty bucks a month. And I mean it's only twenty bucks, but that's still twenty bucks. Like that's that's a considerable amount of money, especially if I keep doing it and keep adding up, that's gonna rack up real quickly. So Yeah, I don't think there's any fixing Google. I think the only solution is to get off Google and try to find alternatives out there. And unfortunately, there's not really a lot of good alternatives.
0: Right. I think I definitely agree. Like the only real solution to any of this is to be on independent platforms in the first place. Um, I think things like PeerTube are what you want, which are a lot more privacy respecting. I think aside from the obvious solution here, I don't know, I'm mixed on the YouTube premium thing because um i agree well i agree i agree that the root problem here is that even if everyone was on youtube premium they're still you know good enough is never good enough for capitalism it's always maximizing um and this is this is a thing back here like i don't really subscribe to this um there are lots of ways at least on the techler front where like and i'm sure on your end as well like we could be doing a lot more things to maximize money you know, like we could put ads on the Techler website, for example, or on our forum. And I'm sure the new oil could as well. And we could have a lot more. Have you, if you look at like the Techler VPN page, we can actually technically by our own rules, we can have affiliate links for all these different VPN services, but we only have one. And like, it, we would still be respecting our own rules if we open more. I just don't want to, because I don't want to like give these companies any more money, even indirectly, even though it would still be objective data and it would still be an opt-in affiliate link next to the standard one. I just don't even want to like open them anymore. So we only have one. So like, it's things like this that like it's good enough for me. We could grow things a little bit more extensively, but like we don't need to. If you're a company like YouTube, though, you have to maximize. It's not just we're 90% of the way there. That 10% does matter. Um, and But here's where I'm mixed. YouTube Premium pays creators better than ads. So if 1,000 people are watching YouTube videos with YouTube Premium, it's paying creators better than ad revenue will. Um, And technically, it is a step in the right direction for YouTube and Google, whoever you want to claim, to step away from the ad industry. And I guess the ethos of this does matter to me, and it's why I don't mind buying a brand new Google Pixel. I don't. My Google Pixel I have on my desk right now I bought used, but I wouldn't have that many reservations about buying a brand new Google Pixel from the Google Store. Because to me, it's I'm using my money to send a message to Signal that I like their hardware business. I like their business that doesn't inherently involve data collection and just ads. Um, So that's the other thing, too. I think there has to be at least a small amount of, like, personal responsibility in where we put our wallets, Um, and I don't know how realistically it's going to impact anything like YouTube, but I do think when you're buying YouTube Premium and engaging with YouTube Premium, you are at least sending a signal to YouTube that, like, they don't need advertising revenue to exist. But like Nate said, um, they're still always going to take advantage of the ad revenue anyway. But, and the other thing I'll say, the last thing too, you're not feeding into the ad revenue world if you're paying for YouTube premium. It's not just about YouTube and Google. When you're watching an ad, you're also benefiting some other company and you're also making that company, like you're, you're one more person that got to see that ad, which that company's paying for. And granted, there's always going to be another person who would have seen the ad. But if all these ad people start realizing, oh, people don't watch ads anymore, um, I guess, you know, it's all idealistic because I'd say maybe they're just going to stop running ads, but they're just going to find more invasive ways to implant their ads into things. So I don't know. It's a messy situation. Those are my thoughts though.
1: I was going to say, you could also just install uBlock Origin and pay the creators directly on like Patreon or something. No one does
0: that though. And you know what? I'm getting tired of hearing about it because people don't do it. And so like, and we have numbers to back this up. Like, right now like we have we make more money from YouTube ads which isn't much by the way than on Patreon. And I guarantee that's probably similar for you as well. That's most creators. Yeah. Most creators even though most creators ad revenue isn't even their main source of income, it's still more than what people are willing to dish out. And it's especially frustrating and I get it because I block ads as well. Um because ads are invasive and I don't want to partake in that industry. But I just hate ads, <laughs> that's, and that's fair. Like ads have been, ads have become so annoying, and it's fair for people to hate them. I, I really think it comes down to I think it's very idealistic for people to say, "Oh yeah, well if you install uBlock Origin and have your ad blocker running, you have to support your creators," because realistically, people don't support their creators. I think some people do, and I've, I'm very appreciative of all of you that do, especially on like our stuff. But like. People just don't, it, it, it cannot, it, and I tell people this, if ad revenue was cut off right now, we would be a little screwed right now, like on our ends. Like we would really need to like improvise and find other revenue sources at the moment. Um, and we wouldn't like die, but it would be a big hit and it would like hurt us for a few months for us to like figure out what to do. Uh, this is pretty, pretty universal, um, probably on surveillance support and tech lore and everything. This isn't a like, oh, for every hundred viewers, we're only getting 50 of you to support us. No, it's like we're getting like a fraction of one person to support us. Like, it's that bad. This isn't like a, oh, like we, we're just, we're looking to get to 100. No, we're looking to get to like five out of 100 people. So on, on YouTube, for example, this last week, I'm just going to tie this to surveillance support because it's relevant to this audience, just to give people an idea here. So like the last surveillance report that just went live, this was our best performing one in a long time, by the way. The one uh, SR138, which talked about Microsoft Edge as the highlight story. And it's currently sitting at 8,000 views. That's 8,000 views. The podcast- Usually it's closer to four, (laughs) somewhere between three and five usually. It's performing really well. So it's 8,000 views and the downloads on the podcast are close to 2,000 for that episode. Oh no, it's over 2,000. It's over 2,000 for that episode. We're already over 10,000. And then if we look at Odyssey and PeerTube, we're just going to keep it at 10,000. But there are other platforms people can listen in from. Just keep it at 10,000 and keep it simple. It's going to be higher. It's probably going to be well over 11,000 in the next week or so. We have 96, 94 people on Patreon.
1: That's mm-hmm. so less than 1%.
0: 94. Yeah, it's less than 1% of people. <laughs> and then on LiberPay, I think we have like two supporters on LiberPay. Last time I checked, yeah. It's something like that. And then on Monero, no, the new we oils- do... Re- I was huh? gonna say the new oil's the same I
1: get on a good month. I get close to 15,000 visitors on a bad month. It's still uh, just over 10,000 and I make not including the split from surveillance report. There's no way I make more than a hundred dollars off everything off Patreon, off Librepay, pay off Monero, off merch sales. Um, I still, you mentioned ad revenue. I still haven't gotten my first payout from ad revenue, which is fine because I'm not very consistent with videos, but I think I've maybe made like maybe a hundred dollars last year off my Proton affiliate link.
0: Right for the whole year, like, right, yeah. It, it's it's upsetting to me. It's upsetting because I really wish the donation model worked, but it just doesn't because people are just so hesitant to give money. And you, this really makes me upset. So Privacy Guides um, has no revenue model as far as I'm concerned. Like they accept donations, but now they released merch. And this is a service that's releasing merch because they supply free things to the world. And people were complaining about it. I saw that on Reddit. And it's Reddit. like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, even if you don't like the merch, just shut your f-ing mouth. Like, honestly, like, do something yeah. else. If you're not going, I'm sure this person has never contributed a dollar to privacy guides. And they have the nerve to step forward and be like, uh, I don't like, why are you guys selling merch? It's not like, why are you guys trying to make money? And it's like, because these are people who are like behind this, who are putting up free resources for you. Who are doing the work of researching these products and vetting them and testing them. and Right. And they're moderating yeah. the community that you're on, which is like a nightmare to do. For anyone yeah. who's had to moderate a community with thousands of people, you know it's a nightmare, especially in the privacy world, which is just full of its own unique issues.
1: Real quick, I just want to add on to that. I can't remember what episode it is, but one of the um, opt-out podcasts, he brought on uh, the guy from Citadel Dispatch. And uh, I can't Matt remember Odell. his name. Matt O'Dell. Yeah, Matt O'Dell. And Matt specifically says, he's like, I have two projects. I have Citadel and then I have like another one. And I I might be like mixing them up with each other. But basically he's like, one of them is 100% community supported, no sponsors, all donations, no premium, no paywalls, nothing. The other one, we actually accept sponsors. And he's like, our community supported one makes 10% of what the other one does. He's like, he straight up says, he's like, it's impossible to run a full-time project like that and not have sponsors, which is funny because then people get mad about like, oh, you have sponsors and that's conflict of interest. And you have ads and this and that. And it's like, cause nobody's paying. Like,
0: like you said, like the, he straight up says, he's like the donation only model is simply not sustainable. It's not. Right. For most people, yep. For most people, it's not. And it's the same thing here. I, I'm not going to give numbers, but all I'll tell you is a single So we don't do video sponsors on TechLore anymore, and I'm going to put more announcements about that soon. Um, I'm going to open up a new sponsorship program. It's a little bit different. But a single video on TechLore with a single sponsor, just one video gave us more money than all TechLore money a month on Patreon. That's it. Like a single sponsor for a single video. And by the way, most sponsors we brought on for four videos at a time. So we would be getting paid if we put out four videos covering that sponsor, we'd be getting paid well over four times the amount of what people were supporting us through Patreon with. And that doesn't include ad revenue, that doesn't include merch, that doesn't include everything else. So yeah, it'll probably be something like 10% of money actually comes in through the community. And the sad thing too is it's the easiest thing to scale. It really is. Because if every viewer just gave 50 cents, you know, like on a tech lore front, like this last month, we got close to 300,000 views in the month across our whole channel. per user is (laughs) $150,000 a month. Like, like it's, it's insane. It's the easiest thing to scale, but like, it's also like the hardest thing for people to like be a part of, ironically. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's an annoying place to be, but I can't be mad at people, you know, like I, I, I do support things when I can, but I don't support everything. And so it's, it's just, I'm just venting. I don't really expect anything from people who listen. We do this for free. We're not in this for the money. But it would help things a lot grow this podcast, which I think is important for the mission. So, well, and I don't, Um, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I don't know how much of this you're going to keep in, but like, for me, it's the
1: time thing. Because like, when I started the new oil, I, I didn't even want to do it full time. I was like, I like having a day job, and you know, that was also back when I worked at a place where I didn't hate all my coworkers. But you know, I was like, I liked having a day job. I liked the fact that I wasn't beholden to this because like, I've heard people say that about, um, you know, coming from an audio side like studios. I've heard people who own studios say don't make that your full-time income because then you have to take any project that comes your way even if you think they're like a garbage band. Even if you think they have no talent and you hate the music, you have to do it because you need the money. Whereas if you do it as a hobby, you can only take the bands that interest you and it's not a big deal unless you're like Andrew Wade and you can just do whatever the hell you want. But you know, And, and that's how I was with the new oil is like I, did, I didn't want to do it full-time because I was like, hey, there's no conflict of interest. I can turn down anybody I want. And, you know, it's it, it was really nice. But like the more it's grown, the more it's like I I will be surprised if I get my video out by the end of the month. Like it's almost done, but it's just I have no free time. I my next cloud has been down for a month while I try to migrate that. Like I traveled for work. I'm always working late. I have to do things around the house. I have to clean. I have to help cook. Like, you know, it's just it's a matter of time and people don't understand. Like, like Jonah, when he started making videos, I remember him messaging, I think it was the group chat, and he's just like, I did not realize how long it takes to make a video. It's like, yeah, dude, it's wild. Like my five-minute TikTok videos, thankfully, I have a volunteer who does it now who I'm, I need to ask them if they want to be added to the site so people can donate to them maybe. But like my volu- I have a volunteer now who does my TikTok videos, but it's like when I used to do those, that was whole afternoon just to do those five minute videos. And that's just videos, yeah. That doesn't include like writing blogs. This weekend's gone, I didn't write a blog post because again, been screwing with NextCloud literally all weekend. Like that doesn't include running updates on the website, you know, remembering to research the.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's so time intensive. Managing communities, on my end having to manage people and then like control, like not control, but like control what's happening in our workflows. It's a ton, dude. It's not an exaggeration, like a normal techler video can, you know, it's not uncommon for them to go over 50 hours of work per video, which is a lot. Like if you consider the fact that like recently we're uploading more than once a week. And some of those projects are, like, like, just do the math. It's it's a lot of fucking work back here for everyone involved. And I have the luxury of being able to do this full time, which Nate doesn't have. Like, I can't imagine having a normal job and then, like, coming home and then having to, like, get the energy together to work on things. Especially because it's so creative sometimes. Like, you know, I feel like regular work kills your creativity. At least it does for me. I was going to say, honestly,
1: that's the worst part is by the time I come home at the end of the day, it's like, dude, I
0: just want to open a beer and, like watch something on netflix like i don't want to use my brain
1: at all all
0: right well (laughs) i don't know what i'm gonna keep there but with all of that said um i do want to say i do appreciate all the people on our patreon who are supporting us who make a lot of these issues a lot better um you guys are the the real difference Um, and, uh, yeah, if you're not on Patreon or any of these other platforms, it really does help a lot. You know, again, it doesn't take much to take the 0.5% of people who actually are supporting people independently and make that 1%, you know, um, it's just the number, the scale is so small that it doesn't take much to double that. So
1: I I don't want to come off as ungrateful because we really do like, I really do love doing this privacy stuff. And like, I really do all appreciate, appreciate all the people who do contribute. It really does mean the world, but We've, we've had people write in and be like, oh, I, I can only afford, like, a dollar a month.
0: Like, dude, that adds up. Like, if everyone gave a dollar, that would be a game changer. <laughs> right. And that's you can do that on Patreon just because it's you not can. a tier – you can actually do custom amounts. It, it, you won't qualify for, like, the perks, but if you really just want to give a dollar, you can. All right, well, um, that was it for this week. DuckDuckGo has released their browser in beta for Windows, UPS suffered a data breach, and the FBI pressures to keep their phone surveillance secret. Patreon, LiberPay, Monero. Um, we have all the support methods for you t- for varying degrees of people and their preferences. It's all down in the description. We appreciate everyone who has helped out. It really means the world to us. And um, from there, uh, I just want to say thank you for listening to the surveillance report. And the final thing that I want to ask you to do is minimum. Just share the podcast around. Uh, make sure you're subscribed. If you find a clip or something um, that is relevant to someone you know, um, you can always just send them a timestamp. Um, and also, you can give us a rating on a platform uh, to help us uh, spread to more people. Or at minimum, just show that you like the podcast. Um, we want privacy, yeah, and then, yeah, so that's it. So thanks everyone for listening. We'll see you next week for Surveillance Support 140.